Well, good morning, real people. This is for me, I mean, I think it's the first time I've preached in front of a group of people for, well, a long, long time, so this is a bit of a culture shock for me. Uh, a, a couple of things. Uh, can, can you not have heard those uh, young guys up the front and kind of think, um, that's exciting, that's awesome? And um, doesn't it, I, I don't know, this is how I feel. I kind of go through a busy week, I land in church, uh, now the second time, <laughs> and I find myself to, just going, wow, I'm glad I'm here. You know, and, and I'm, I'm you're glad you're, uh, you're streaming in, Stum, but it just it recalibrates. It puts you back into the frame where you're meant to be to see the bigger things about what God's doing. Um, you know, we want to keep doing this more and more. We, we want to reach Australia for Christ, which means we've got to send out young men and women. Uh, we've got to raise up young men and women. And to get that to happen, we have to rebuild church. Church has just been in a crumble for the last bunch of months, year and a half. We've got to rebuild church. And to rebuild church, uh, we have to have money. We have to finance the whole thing to make it work. Um, now, praise God, these guys are, are kind of fun, talking to you. Get, give to the MTS work. But can I encourage you today to give to the general work of church as well? Uh, we, we've had a wonderful period the last couple of years in your generosity in the way that we've together been funding that what's happening here. But come now, at uh, the end of uh, last month, we were sitting at 80000 behind budget. So to bring that to your attention, we need to finish the year on budget so that we can actually push again into rebuilding things for next year. So if you're new, can you consider perhaps jumping in now finally and partnering what's happening? Uh, if you have been partnering, it might be one-off. You can give a little bit more. You can stretch again further into this coming year. It really does matter. And what God, it's working. What God's doing is wonderful. Uh, let's keep giving ourselves to this task and funding the work. Yeah? Let me pray as we dig into the scripture we've just had read. Let me do that. Heavenly Father, we ask, please, that you might work through and amongst us. We thank you so much for every evidence of your grace amongst us, but we pray for much more. We see a country in such need of the things of Christ, and we pray, please, that you might use us in some small measure towards that. We do pray now that as we sit under the sound of your voice that you would please bless this time. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here we are. And week by week, we do this thing. I hope you notice this, whether on, online or here. We read from this really old book. Have you noticed that? Every time we gather. And usually we have two bits of it that we read. We read from the really, really, really old bit first. We call it the Old Testament. Then we read from just the really, really old bit. We call that the New Testament, all written thousands of years ago. And then we have someone get up uh, and spend a chunk of time taking up our time, explaining a bit of that really, really old book. We do this every week. We've been doing it for years together. Churches have been. Now, why? Why do we do that? Is it just because uh, we're into books? You know, like if you weren't here, you'd have all joined book reading clubs. Is that the kind of people we just are? Um, no. <laughs> Is it because you just love knowledge and information and you just want to grow in your knowledge of information? You would be always watching documentaries on Netflix. Is that who we all are? No. So why are we here? Why do we do this particular thing? Because we need to do something spiritual. Because we want to be involved in a spiritual activity. That's why we're doing it. Now, what is this? You know, there's an old joke. Do you remember that old joke about the plane about to crash? Now, this, I hear this is a true story, but whether or not it is, it works anyway. Plane's about to crash. Everyone's terrified. Someone calls out and says, quick, do something religious. And someone else says, yes, take up a collection. 
And it's kind of the, it's the, the vibe of churches, which I've just talked about money. It does matter that we talk about money together. But is that the spiritual thing? What is the spiritual thing? What would it be to be a spiritual act? You know, if you believed in the spiritual realm, what would you do? Well, you'd want to get in touch with it. You'd, you'd want to commune with the spirits if you're a spiritual person. You'd want to, you know, is it chant so that you move into this alternate state of consciousness so that you're now in touch with the divine? Is that what you do as a spiritual activity? Um, is it rather that there are... Um, Ways of kind of getting emotional and caught up so that you're engaged to have a seance. What do you do? It's a big question. How do you get in touch with the spiritual realm if you believe such a thing? How do you do it? Have a look at Hebrews chapter 3. Grab your Bible. Hebrews chapter 3. As the Holy Spirit says, verse 7, Today if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. What's the spiritual activity that you do with the real God? You listen to him. When he speaks, you listen. Wouldn't you? If you knew that God was about to speak, would you want to listen? Now, I take it that all of us would. That's why we're here. But it's not so obvious a thing that if God spoke, would you listen? Would everyone say yes to that? That if God was speaking, I'd want to listen. Now, if you boil it all down, that's what this really, really old bit of writing is about. And if, let me summarise it for this morning. This part that we're looking at, chapter 3, as we move through this old sermon, is really this. Listen. Listen to God when he speaks, because your life depends on it. And it's a powerful bit of writing, this whole uh, sermon that we're going through. Powerful bit of speaking. It's a powerful bit of writing, of course. Uh, it, it's got this deeply practical sense about it. Th this whole thing is, is about saving you, saving me, bringing us into a saving relationship with the living God. And keeping us there. Now one of our problems though as we go through it is that it trades on a series of assumptions. So the author, the preacher back in the, those ancient times, he operates with a series of assumptions that just a part of his, the way he thinks. And it kind of, it, he just makes statements that have a whole bunch behind them. And the power of it depends on you understanding those assumptions. So one of the dangers is you can read through this and kind of go, yeah, 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 but not really see the power of it because you don't understand the, we don't understand the kind of the pieces that lay behind it. And so here's my plan this morning. I want to go straight to those assumptions because many of them are quite surprising. They're not obvious to us in our culture, 21st century Australia. And I want to get those assumptions clear in our mind and then go back to chapter 3 and preach it. All right? Let it sing. Okay, that's my hope this morning that as we do this together. Um, but here's, here's the challenge actually, there's the assumptions we're going to look at, there's six of them. I started the week with five, but it's gotten larger as we've gone along. So by the end of the day it might be seven, we'll see how we go. But there's a bunch there and so we want to work at these together, kind of put them all in place and then come back to it and let it fly. Okay, so you're with me? I mean they will build, it'll preach as it goes along, but... Uh, just be settled in for a few different points. It's not a three-point sermon, it's a six-point sermon. So let me give you the first one. 
And the first one actually is helpful to pick up because it speaks to this very thing we've been talking about. Have a look at verse 7 again. I want to show you something quite extraordinary. Um, it's right on the issue of listening. Verse 7, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, don't you harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. If you hear his voice, verse 7, listen. Okay, there it is. But here's the first assumption. Where do you hear his voice? Yeah, okay, if God speaks, I want to listen. But where do I hear him speaking? Well, this is an assumption that this author, this ancient preacher has that we need to share, we need to get aligned with. Where do you hear the voice? You see, it's a spiritual thing, it's a spiritual activity to listen to God. That seems very obvious, it's a spiritual activity. But where do you hear the Spirit of God speak? Personally, actually. It's not, where do you hear the Spirit of God speaking to you? Personally. To your heart. Well, if you look very carefully at verse 7, you'll get the answer. So, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Now, take it bit by Verse 7 starts with a statement that the Holy Spirit of God is speaking. So, as the Holy Spirit says. Now, you, to, to get hold of this point, you need to understand a little bit of um, language, which may, may take us a long way back to our schooling. But do you remember how verbs, doing words, have tenses? Past tense, present tense, future tense, and other kinds of tenses. Do you remember that? Do you remember that about English words and so on? Well, it's the same in all languages. And so, as the Holy Spirit says, that word says... If it was in the past tense, it would have said, as the Holy Spirit was saying. If it's in the future tense, it would say, as the Holy Spirit is going to say. But it actually is in the present tense. It says, as the Holy Spirit says. And more than that, it's in the, I'm freaked this one out, it's in the present continuous sense. Does anyone remember that? It's in the present continuous, which means you could translate it as, as the Holy Spirit is saying. Present tense, continuous. As the Holy Spirit is now ongoingly saying. Now why does all of that matter? Because verse 7 tells you that what he's about to say, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts, is the Holy Spirit presently speaking. Now. Living. But check out what he does next. He quotes... Second half of verse 7, down to verse 11, he quotes a psalm. Psalm 95. From that really, 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 really old part of the Bible, the Old Testament. A part of the Bible that was written about a thousand years before this preacher preached this sermon. So he quotes a psalm that was written by David, actually. You um, get down in chapter 4, verse uh, 7, that he tells us it was David's psalm. But he says that psalm written by a man called David was actually the Holy Spirit speaking a thousand years later, living, present, now. And by extension, it is true that that same psalm is the Holy Spirit of God speaking today, now. Notice with great care this. And is this not surprising? Because I tell you, Psalm 95, 
written 3,000 years ago? Is the Holy Spirit of God speaking today? Is that not surprising? I'll tell you partly why I think it is surprising for us, because it doesn't feel like it's the Holy Spirit speaking. If the Holy Spirit was speaking, surely it would feel different. Do you know, if the Holy Spirit was speaking to me, surely I would have a spiritual experience. And you know you've got a spiritual experience because it tingles up and down the spine. You get this awe and warmth. and Isn't that how you measure whether it's... No, no, no. The Bible tells you something surprising. It's an assumption the author has, which is that when you read that really, really old part of the Bible, Psalm 95, it is the Holy Spirit of God speaking to you now, in our present. God is personally addressing us in the words of this psalm. Now the Holy Spirit is here. God is amongst us. You don't need to pray for him to be here. He is here every time his word is read. He is present addressing us. Do you know, if I could promise you next week that God would speak to us audibly, next Sunday, if you book in and get here, you will hear the very voice of God booming in this building. Wouldn't you make sure you were here next week? Wouldn't you make sure you had your friends here to try and book in and get it? Absolutely. Well, this verse tells you Every time the Bible is read, God, by his Holy Spirit, is among us and he is speaking to you now. Wow. Let me give you the second assumption. The second assumption is, the first assumption is that every time the Bible is read, it's the Holy Spirit speaking now. The second assumption is that these people are in danger of losing their relationship with Jesus. That's the assumption that runs through this chapter and the whole book, actually. Uh, The weight of the whole thing assumes, and here it is, it assumes that the experience of an ancient people many, many centuries earlier, the Israelites, uh, could be true of the people he's preaching to in that day and could, by extension, be true of the people we are speaking about here today. And, And that common experience is those ancient followers of God lost their relationship with God. You see, notice carefully verse 8, again, the Psalm 95. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me. Verse 10, I was angry with that generation. I said, they will never, verse 11, enter my rest. Chapter 4 will follow on this same theme. The whole point of this passage is that the preacher, the ancient preacher is saying, look what happened to this ancient, more ancient people of God. They lost it. Do you know they were rescued out of Egypt under Moses by God? He brought them to himself at Mount Sinai. He constituted them as his people. He showed himself to them. And then he was just going to take them into the land, the promised land, where they would enjoy relationship with him. For the, but they, they lost it on the way. And we'll dig in next week into how they did that. But they lost it on the way. And God rejected them. And this author says, what happened to them is a warning to us. Verse 12, see to it, brothers and sisters. You see how he applies this sum. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you have a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. 
See to it that you're not like them because you could be. You could be. This is the very point he's making. Now this is, a, this is an assumption that he's operating, that he's trying to convince us of. And it's a surprising one. Because uh, we're saved not by what we do. At the very heart of the Christian message is that you're saved by God's gift to you. His gracious gift of his son's death on the cross to pay for your sins. We're not saved by our works, by our merit, by our efforts. It's not us who save us, he saves us. And so, and so you would think on that basis, therefore, there's nothing I need to do. But that would be wrong. We don't do anything to earn our salvation. But we do need to receive the gift that's given us by grace. We need to receive the gift given us and hold on to it. Look at verse 14, which I think is the key verse, actually. I think this is the big verse of this passage. Look at verse 14. We have come to share in Christ. Now, underline, if you've got it, underline the word if. We have come to share in Christ if. Indeed, we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. He's already said that back in chapter, verse 6. We are his house if. We hold firmly our confidence in which we glory. The big assumption operating here is that you, you can lose it. And, and if, you, if you don't continue, if you don't continue to hold on to the gift, you'll be lost. We're saved by grace, not by works, not by our efforts. But it's necessary to receive that gift and hold on to that gift by faith. Colossians chapter 1 verse 22. We are reconciled by Christ's death if we continue in our faith, not moved out from the gospel. If. Brothers and sisters, it's no use that you have professed faith as a child and walked away. It does not matter that you start it matters that you end. I mean, it matters that you start so that you can end, but there's no prize for just starting. What matters is that you finish the race. It's no use that you have had a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ years ago. You cannot trade on that history. What matters is that you continue actively now to trust in the gift of God given us in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not starting that's the, well, it's the key to start, but what matters is that you finish the race. We only come to share in him if we continue to hold firm. Third, to lose Jesus is to lose everything. This is massively serious. The assumption here is, and a surprising assumption again, is that there's no spiritual life, no saving spiritual life outside of Jesus. And I think in our day and age we need to hear this because we're bought into the whole notion perhaps that um, there are many roads that lead to God and you know, the Christian path is one and the Jewish path is another and the Buddhist one and the Hindu and whichever, well, as long as you sincerely believe you'll be okay. That's not the assumption that's running through this preacher. The original hearers had something of that going as well. You, you might remember, perhaps a better version of it actually, because th they were Jewish believers 
who'd come to Jesus. But being a Christian in the first century was tough, tough, tough. The Jewish faith was protected. So they were tempted to, um, it's too hard to be a Christian. Let's go back to the Jewish experience of God because it's the same God. And many roads lead to, it'll be okay. But this preacher is saying it won't be okay. Why? Because, well, the first six verses of chapter 3, Moses was just a servant. If you go back to the Jewish faith away from Jesus, you're going back to Moses, and Moses was just a servant. Jesus is the owner of the house. Jesus was and is the point of Moses. Moses was the servant to, to bring us into this house and serve the, for the sake of the owner of the house, Jesus coming. If you've come to Jesus and go back to Moses, giving up on Jesus, you show you never understood what Moses was at all. And it shows that you were never actually in Jesus at all. You've never understood Jesus. Because he's not just one religious leader amongst many. He's the. He's the fulfillment. He is the only. He's the great. He is the chapter one Jesus. The son, appointed heir of all things, through whom everything was made. He's not just a Muhammad, a prophet. He's, a, he's God. And if you walk away from Jesus, you've walked away from everything. You are lost. Chapter 3 verse 19 there will be no hope of entering do you see these assumptions that the, 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 the ancient bible we read is the living voice of the holy spirit now do you see um, it, um, assumption two uh, that, that um, you only remain in Christ and are saved if you continue to hold firm to him assumption three if you lose that You've lost everything. There's nowhere else to go. Assumption four. The deceptiveness of sin. The deceptiveness of sin. Now all of this is going to come together in a moment, so watch for that. But the deceptive... Look at verse 13. Encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. You know, sin is bad. You know that. You go to church, you hear that sin is bad. It's one of the key messages of churches, isn't it? That sin is disobeying God, rejecting it. Bad. But there's a sense in which that thing called sin affects us. Sin deceives us. It's a power to deceive. And one of the great challenges of deception is that you don't even know what's happening. That's the nature of deception. If I knew I was being deceived, I wouldn't be being deceived, you see. Deception is the thing that happens to you with it. It deceives you into thinking you're not even being deceived, you see. Deception is that kind of dangerous thing. Sin misleads us. It tricks us. It hides the truth. And sin does this not as something outside of us, but as part of our very nature. It's our sin that does this. Now there is a malevolent power outside of this that plays on that, the great deceiver, but he plays on what's already in us. And sin deceives us step by step, by small degrees, so you don't even notice it's happening, you drift, you see. In fact, Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9 says that that sin is, resides in the very heart of a human. Heart problem. He say, Jeremiah says that the heart is deceitful 
above all things and desperately sick who can understand it. The heart is deceptive. Our heart, our very inner being is deceptive. This is an assumption that the author operates with, which is very surprising our day and age. It's surprising culturally, and forgive the repetition, I'm going to keep doing this because I find myself so constantly outraged by this. Do not believe Hollywood. Don't believe the celebrities and what they say about the human heart. Don't be that kind of fool. Their message is, the message of Hollywood is, believe the heart. Trust your heart. Your heart is the one sure certain thing in life, is the message of Hollywood. Follow your heart. Don't follow anyone else. Don't follow other voices. Do what your heart says to do. That's the message of Hollywood. God's word says exactly the opposite. It says the heart is the centre of deception. It's the very last thing to trust. Do you know there's a number of times, and it's worth chasing this up at some point, there's a number of times in the New Testament the language of deception is used again, just repeatedly. You get it in all kinds of places. Galatians chapter 6, Colossians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 5, 1 Corinthians chapter, the list goes on. Let me read one for you from 1 Corinthians 6. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. He opens that sentence of the list who will not inherit the kingdom. He opens that sentence with the words, do not be deceived. Why? Because we are prone to be deceived. We want to believe it's not true because the sin in us will deceive us about this very thing that idolaters will be okay, that the greedy surely will be okay, that drunk, we can be drunk and still, that slanderers and swindlers, they surely. We deceive ourselves into thinking these things are not serious. Deception is the very heart. We, we convince ourselves that love is love. Wherever it's found, whoever expresses it, in whatever relationship, love is love. And we're sure that our God, whoever our God is, would be, he'd be okay with that. And so Paul says, don't be deceived. At the very heart of who we are is deception, to want to believe what we believe. Sin. We want sin to be okay. And so, of course, we'll shape things so that the sin that I want to experience will be rationalised. We'll be, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm sure he says don't be sexually immoral, but this is not sexually immoral. This is love outside of marriage with someone I'm not married to, but it's love. And so we rationalise. And Paul says, don't let the heart deceive you like that. You know, and there'll always be a crowd of willing supporters to cheer you on. I don't know how many times I've noticed, but on, I don't know I spend, but on Facebook, someone says, you know, I gave them a piece of my mind, and, and you'll get 20 responses that say, you go, you, awesome, you, they obviously needed it. You'll get a cheer squad, because sin is deceptive. The human heart is deceptive. You want to sleep with that woman? It feels so right. Don't trust your heart. See, this is the fourth assumption. There's a power within us that deceives us and tells us 
We are on the right. It's okay. And we've got a world around us that's part of that whole deception. Brothers and sisters, this is serious. Don't be deceived. Don't let sin deceive you. Fifth, second last, it'll start to pull together. The deceptiveness of sin means people grow hard towards the one message we need to listen to. The deceptiveness of sin means we grow hardened to the very message that we need to listen to, the Word of God, which is the Spirit of God speaking. Look at verse 7 again. Today, as the, Holy, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. You know, the battle to stay with Christ, the battle to persevere as a Christian, the battle to come to Christ, it happens right here in your heart. That's where the battle takes place. Right in your heart. And that battle shows itself in exactly this thing, how you are towards the Word of God, the Bible. How you are towards the living voice of the Holy Spirit, the Scriptures. You see, we can't see God, He's invisible, He is Spirit. We can't face up to Him and have Him sort out our relationships like this. Um, he is Spirit. But He is present in concrete, solid form in his written word in his written word now i'm not saying the written word is god i'm not saying the ink on this page is god don't be i'm not saying that foolish thing but this written word is his voice it's his living voice and by his voice he is present amongst us and here's where it's coming together um, the, the, this word is his holy spirit speaking and so um, as his true and infallible and factual voice, the voice that's truly his Holy Spirit voice, what you do with these words tells us everything about what you think about the God who is invisible. And this is so important, let me give you an illustration. And this is a, this is a tin pot illustration, but the best I could come up with. You're out partying with your mates. Um, and, and you're having a great old time and um, you know, you're, you're, you're being stupid, you're being an idiot and someone answers your phone and comes and says to you, it's your wife. Now what you do with the phone at that point tells us a great deal. If you receive the phone from this and take the voice of your wife and listen to it, but if you ignore the phone and, and tell your mate to hang up, you haven't got long to live. <laughs> you see, you might say it's unfair. Look, if she was present, it'd be different. You know, I wouldn't treat, you know, but it's just the phone. It's just her voice. No. The way you treat her voice tells us what your heart is towards her. And often it's a very much greater test of how your heart is towards your wife or your husband. You dismiss her voice when she's not with you is to dismiss her. You, you see the nature of the illustration? Sure, it's a bit tin pot, but it gives you something of the sense. That's why the first assumption I drew our attention to is so important. This word, this written word, this really, really old word, is not, is not it's not dead. It's the Holy Spirit, God, speaking to us now. It's him present amongst us now. It's the phone call from God. What you do with his voice is everything. Today, if you hear his voice, 
Don't harden your hearts through the deceptiveness of sin. You see how it's starting together. You know, some complain about churches being Bible churches like ours. Well, you know, they talk about uh, that's the church that's their trinity is Father, Son, and Holy Scriptures. You've heard that kind of line? Um, don't buy into it. Don't, don't engage with that, or engage with it, but don't, don't uh, embrace that kind of idea. It's, it's, a, great, uh, it, it's a great foolishness. Um, if the Scriptures is the very living voice of the Holy Spirit, if the Scripture, the Word of God, is the sword of the Spirit, if thus says the Lord is this Word, alive and active today, then His voice is Him present amongst us. Did you see? You cannot honour God, the invisible one. You cannot truly love the God who is invisible and think little of his voice, his living voice, the Holy Spirit voice, the scriptures. Do you see? You just can't do that. You can't separate that. His voice is him, not the ink on the page. Right here is the battle of the human heart where it plays out. If you're beginning to drift from God, it won't play out as a simple dismissal of God. It's rare that your drift away from God plays out as, I don't believe in God anymore, I'm giving up on God. That's not how it plays out. How it plays out is that the heart deceives you into Drifting into a new understanding of God that's not from the Bible, it's not a biblical understanding, it's not the Word of God, but it's your own understanding, it's a cultural understanding, it's the way most people think about God. And you begin to drift into that, still having God, but you've just now no longer got the true God. That's how the drift happens. It happens by a slow deception. I want what I want in my sin, perhaps. I want to sleep with a girl. I want to walk away from my family. I want, to, um, I want to be greedy. I want to actually pursue life just for me. I want what I want, and so I rationalize, and I read the Word of God less. I'm less inclined to open it up and come to it because I don't want to hear what it actually has to say. I know that it'll kick me in the guts about where I'm going, and I don't want to hear that. And so I slowly go harden to the Word of God. Or, or I want what I want and so I reinterpret the word of God to make it fit what I want to have. And I find people who support me in that. Lots of people think this way as well. Or, or I come to the word with conditions. And so I only see what I want to see in it. And it's incredible that if you want to see something in the Bible, you'll find a way to see it. The deceptiveness of sin shows itself in how we listen to the voice of God. Now again, this is so important that I want to illustrate it for you. And I, pick up, I want to try and pick up one illustration. I'm a little cautious that this might be dangerous. But come with me to 1 Peter 3. 1 Peter 3. Because I don't want this to become the issue. So I've tried to choose some, something that's kind of... It's a little bit less than central. I don't want you to get caught up on this particular thing. We could choose a number of really serious ones, but I don't want us to get caught. Let me, so let me, without that introduction, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 3, talking to women. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewellery or fine clothing. Have a quick look around, see who's got gold jewellery on, all right? Um, now, what Peter says is your adornment should not come your adornment should not come from elaborate hairstyles, wearing of gold jewellery or fine clothing. 
Now, is he saying that you ought never wear gold? Christians will differ over this. You know what matters most? The way you come to that verse. What you bring when you come to that verse. That's what matters most than your conclusion on this particular one. Let me explain what I mean. You can debate back and forward what it means. But if you come to it sure that it cannot mean I never wear gold jewellery, you've hardened your heart already. Did you see? If you come to it sure that it would be ridiculous that God would say not to wear gold jewellery, you've already begun the hardening process. Did you see? You, you, you could pick up the other one about veils, wearing veils. If you come to that verse in 1 Corinthians and say, there's just no way that God would think we ought to wear veils today, the hardening has started. Right there. Do you know why? Because the key to coming to the Word of God, the Word of the living God, the Holy Spirit Word of God, is with humility that says whatever it says, no matter how inconvenient, no, how much, no matter how much different it is to what I want, I will listen to the Word of God. I'll bow to the Holy Spirit voice of God. Whatever it says, wherever it takes me. You know, Catholicism. Let's get a little controversial. Catholicism. If you have come to us and you've come from a Catholic church background, what I, what I think is most helpful is to not start with, is Catholicism wrong? But start rather with, if the Bible shows me that my tradition is wrong, I will go with the Bible, not my tradition. If where you've come from different churches, if don't start with, I've been right and I need to make the Bible fit. Start the other way. Do you hear what I'm trying to say here? Let me give you the last assumption and the most surprising, well, a surprising one. Verse 12 and 13. I want you to notice this very quickly. This is a group thing. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you have a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Not just see that you don't have one, but see that none of you have one. The assumption this author makes is that church life, us being together as church, is central to the experience of Christianity. Verse 13, encourage one another. You can't do that alone in our homes. And we know that. Encourage one another. Be soft to God's word, which says you, need, you cannot be a Christian on your own. Wow, God in his grace. But it is a corrupted Christianity and in danger of drifting. You see, brothers and sisters, six assumptions, surprising assumptions. This book is alive. It's, it's the Holy Spirit speaking to us right now. And the sermon, if you want to summarize, it's there in verse 12. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you that none of us have a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. See to it that you do not, and be conscious that you can do that through the deceptiveness of your sinful heart. 
Be alert to the danger. Here's where this sermon now sings to us. It preaches to us. Don't assume this could never be you. Nothing matters like this, that you remain in Christ, that you hold firm to your original conviction to the very end. Nothing matters like this. Heaven and hell are at stake. There is nowhere else outside of Jesus. And you know the dangers if your heart is going cold towards the word. If you're coming to the word with conditions determining what it must mean and what it can only say. You're in that slippery slope already. And nothing matters like this. That you, you deal with under God by his grace that unbelieving heart. That, that hardening of sin that's beginning in us. Don't assume it can never be you. Practice the discipline of coming soft to the word of God. Preach this to yourself, this truth, that whatever God's word says, his living word, don't buy into the line that this is an ancient old book that has no bearing on, that it's not a personal word, that this is somehow an inferior word. This is the Holy Spirit speaking to you today. And some of you, I know you'll be sitting there going, it is, it is, I've been drifting. I know it's been happening to me. I can feel it. Forewarned is forearmed. Cherish the word of God today and every day. Fight for this, brothers and sisters, because heaven and hell is at stake. Our very lives eternally is at stake. Let me apply this more particularly. If you're amongst us and you're not a follower of Christ, if you're listening and you're not a follower of Christ, can, all of this, this speaks to you to say, come to Jesus. There's nowhere else to come. There's nowhere else that has life. It's only in him that we find life. But if you're sitting here today and you're feeling supremely confident, the issue of drifting and falling away never exercises your mind. It's just not even an issue for you. You just think, no, no, I'm a Christian. It's all good. I raised in a Christian home. I made a profession. It's in my Bible at the back of my Bible. What a date. I'm all set. I'm good. If that's where you're at, beware. If you think you stand firm, beware, says Paul, lest you fall. It matters that you finish by holding firm your original conviction to the end. Beware that you have a heart. We all have a heart that is deceptive above all things. You won't even know the deception. And perhaps you're in the grip of it. Wake up. Snap out of the Hollywood thinking that says my heart is the reliable guide and I feel comfortable with where I'm at. That's the very work of deception going on. Wake up. If you're supremely confident, you are in grave danger. If you're drifting and you know it, come back today. Don't put it off. If you aren't drifting, but you're terrified you might, take care to listen to the voice of God every day. 35 years ago, I think, can't believe it might be 40 years ago, but it might have been 40 years ago, when I was two. When, um, 40 years ago. Um, I, I'd just become a Christian, so I was, in, I was in, coming into my 20s. I was in, I'd just become a Christian. I was living in a world that was, you know, I was converted out of a world that wasn't Christian. So you know all the story there, right? Tough, tough time to, 
amongst some friends. I was drawn and I was, then I'd come to church and I didn't like church. I didn't like the people at church. I didn't think they were cool enough. What a fool I was. But I was struggling. And I remember sitting with an older Christian woman. Praise God for older Christian women. Um, no, praise God for older Christian women who are mature in the faith. Right? You're just being old doesn't make you. But anyway, um, <laughs> praise God for older, mature. This older Christian woman, I, I was sharing with her. Certain, I don't know why I was sharing with her. But anyway, I said to her, look, I'm, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can last. And she said, Andrew, wake, make sure you wake up tomorrow and listen to the voice of God. Don't worry about 35 years' time. Just wake up tomorrow and listen to the voice of God. And here I am, 35 years later, still waking up every day and listening to the voice of God. Do you see? Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Don't worry about a year's time, five years' time. Worry about today and tomorrow. And make sure you wake up every day. And brothers and sisters, pay attention to each other in this. We have had a dreadful time over the last 18 months. People are drifting. Do you know friends, family, congregation who are drifting? Encourage one another. Don't bash people. But get alongside love and encourage as you pay heed to your own heart and where you're at. Now this is such a time that we're actually going to spend a bit of time reflecting. So here's what I want us to do. I want, us to, I want you to sit where you are, of course. Just, just take a moment, uh, pause and think, where am I at? How is my heart towards the voice of God? How are my friends, family, congregation? Reflect. You might need to repent. You might to renew convictions and determinations. I'm going to give us some time just to reflect. And in a moment, Trevor's going to come up and lead us in prayer to actually see that God might change us. Nothing matters like this, brothers and sisters. Take a moment now. Where are you at? See to it that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. Repent. Renew your determination to sit under the voice of God. Be prayerful about how we might stir each other in these things.